Oh, praise God. Praise God. Amen. Well, listen, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Father God, in Jesus' name, we come before you, Lord. And Father, we thank you for the, the privilege and the honor of witnessing Miss Yvonne's baptism tonight, Lord. Father, we thank you that you've made a way, that you've made a way through the blood of Christ, Lord, that we can become your children. And Father, we thank you for, for her obedience and, and for many others, Lord. We, Father, we thank you for this privilege of, of being able to assemble together tonight, Lord, to, to worship you in song and in prayer and in, uh, and in the proclamation of your word tonight, Lord. Father, I pray that uh, everything we say and do tonight will bring honor and glory to you and that our worship will arise to you as a sweet aroma. We ask this in the, the most wonderful name of names, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, listen, let me begin with a, with a few announcements. Uh, uh, we're so, so glad to see you all tonight. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, be sure uh, you should have gotten a, a visitor bag when you came in. If you didn't get one, uh, if you'll raise your hand, the ushers will get one to you. And in that bag is a, is a card we call a connect card. If you would, just fill that out. And when the offering bucket comes around in a minute, if you would, just drop that in there. We'd love to just follow up with you, see, how, see what you thought about the service. Um, don't forget, coming up on uh, October the 1st uh, is the Blood Assurance Blood Drive. Um, uh, this will be on October the 1st from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And keep in mind, this is not the Red Cross. Uh, uh, all donations that are collected uh, through blood assurance in, in that, this particular drive stays local. Uh, so it's, uh, um, it's, it's a service to the community. And they need your, they need your support. Uh, there's several uh, uh, spaces uh, left out there. So sign up on your way out. Uh, I heard that we had somebody actually uh, signed up twice. <laughs> right, Brother Leonard? And, uh, <laughs> somebody told him he couldn't do that. But, uh, but there are spaces available, so take advantage of this and, uh, and uh, make your plans to donate that day. Also coming up, uh, our Launch Youth uh, will be hosting a Launch Youth yard sale uh, to raise money for camp and other youth events. Uh, if you have anything at home that you're, you'd be willing to donate to their cause, uh, please bring these things with you starting this Sunday. Um, there will be a truck in the front of the church with a sign, and you just place your, your items in the back of that truck. Uh, we'll also be receiving donations daily uh, until Saturday, October the 8th at 9 a.m. Um, and the, the yard sale will be held uh, at Sharps Auto Sales, 710 Tennessee Boulevard. That's DW's place of business. Um, don't forget also coming up this Sunday, our after-school food pantry. Um, and, and again, thank you for being so faithful to that. We always have a, such, a, such great participation in our, 
in the after school uh, food pantry so so bring your food items uh, something uh, uh, something that a, a child can fix or microwave uh, uh, and bring those with you this coming Sunday uh, don't forget that we're still in the midst of our grow campaign if you'd like to to donate to our to our building fund that the Vox is out there in the foyer uh, we'd appreciate your help on that um, well, having said all that, let's talk about our offering tonight. All right. <laughs> I'm going to be uh, focusing in, in, in Luke chapter 3. Now, this is a very familiar, very familiar chapter, most notably because in verse 21 is, is where Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan. A remarkable thing, though. But John uh, chapter 3 begins... Uh, it's, it's an introduction of John the Baptist. Uh, uh, in verse 2, it says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but John goes on uh, uh, to uh, quote from the Old Testament and and. and and, and as, as he's preaching and talking, crowds of people are responding. Uh, they're coming up and wanting to be baptized. Uh, um, and he tells them in verse 7, So he began saying to the crowds uh, who were going out to be baptized by him, you, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And that, that's, I want us to focus on that statement and, and one other one. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about the, what's going to happen to trees that don't bear fruit. Uh, he says uh, in, in the latter part of verse 9, every tree that does not bear good fruit is, is cut down and thrown into the fire. And this, uh, you know, this statement of John, he, he you know, he, the, the people were, were amazed and, and maybe a little confused as to what he was talking about. And, and, and the crowds were questioning him, saying, this is verse 10, and, and they, they holler out, then what shall we do? Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise you know and and, and I, I want us to reflect on on those statements for just a moment and, and we need to apply those uh, uh, to our own lives uh, you know repentance repentance isn't an abstract act of the mind it's not just a, a theological term it's much more than that uh, repentance is something you can see something you can see it's something that expresses itself in action. Um, it's a visible response to the grace of God, really. Uh, you know, John, again, says in verse 8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. So what, what does that mean? Um, I think it means several things, but a couple of things. In, in the first place, this repentance um, will affect our relationship with God. Because if we know that we're if we've been that we know that we've been forgiven, we're gonna we'll love God. 
we'll thank God and we'll worship God greater than we've ever done before. Uh, this, this deeper sense of forgiveness, the greater will, um, will cause us a, a greater degree of transformation. The greater our desire to become more and more like Jesus. You know, our repentance also affects our relationship with others. You know, it's, it's this aspect of, of, of repentance, I believe, that John the Baptist is talking about here. He's emphasizing in this text. You know, the reality of being saved uh, must shape how we treat the people around us. You know, we treat them with grace because we've been given grace. We treat them with mercy because God has shown us mercy. You know, the forgiven person becomes a forgiving person. Uh, the delivered person becomes a delivering person. The selfish person, you know, becomes a generous person. And, and these are all fruits of repentance. You know, uh, and this comes across in, in John's answer to the people in, in verse 10 where he says, where the people cry out again, what shall we do then? And they're literally asking John, how do we produce how do we produce this fruit of repentance? And, and, you know, they've understood his main point. So now they're asking, what do we do next? And this is what John tells them, very simply. And this is one of those passages, and, and the reason I'm using this tonight is, is it that I think the Lord just sort of dropped in my spirit uh, three or four weeks ago like I was supposed to use this. But it's, it's verse 11. He who has two tunics... Let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. You know, that, that's always the character of repentance. Putting your money where your mouth is, uh, walking the talk, uh, uh, living it out. You know, because repentance is an action word. One of the true fruits of repentance is generosity. You know, sharing with others what God has so mercifully and abundantly given to us. You know, your, your giving enables Launch Point Church to become a conduit for carrying out John's mandate there in, in, in verse 11. Um, it allows us to, to be able to, to feed those who are hungry in the community, to, to, to clothe those who need clothing, and not just in the community, but even in our, among our, our own body here. But more importantly, our generosity opens the doors for the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. So as we prepare to give tonight, let's put our repentance into action. Let's show the fruit of true repentance by giving generously and cheerfully from a heart full of gratitude for all that God has given us. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we, we come before you again, Lord, uh, at this time of, of where we offer our gifts to you, Lord. Father, I pray that, uh, that what we give to you tonight, Lord, will, will be a pleasing offering, Lord. Father, help us to, to take a moment to meditate on, on all the blessings that you've given us. Let, let the, the fruit of our own repentance, Lord, of our own obedience, 
be pleasing to you. So, Father, I ask you to, to bless the, the hand of the giver tonight. If there, Should there be someone here because of a circumstance or situation in their life that's not able to give, I, I pray that you'd bless them also, Lord, that they would be able to, to know the joy, the joy of giving. So, Father, we ask these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and get started while they while they finish their their past there. Before we do, let's let's pray together. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. God, we thank you that you give us an opportunity to show we love you, as Pastor Rick just said. But but God, that let that be from a place where we recognize and acknowledge and understand that you loved us first. God, that from the foundations of the earth, you determined to love us. That you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. God, that your son, Jesus, still makes intercession for us, still pleads on our behalf. God, because of all of that, we come to you confidently, boldly, but humbly and grateful. God, as we as we open up your word before we do, we... We appeal to you for a clear conscience. God, if there's anything in us that isn't as it should be, God, show us what it is that we may walk in the purity that your son Christ Jesus died to give us. God, as we read your word, I ask that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better so that we can proclaim you better. We praise you. We thank you for worship for our worship in singing, worship in giving, worship in baptism, and now worship in the Word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good evening. Let's get started, or restarted, or, or continue, I guess. I'm going to talk out of Ephesians today, so if you want to go ahead and turn to chapter 4, that's where we're going to start. We've been in Ephesians. Um, I took a couple weeks off, and they turned me down just a, just a hair, I feel... Like, a, am I a little loud in the? Yeah, and I'm about to get louder. <laughs> um, so I took a couple weeks off. Angela and I went to Florida, had a great time with that. And then we came back, had the worship night last Wednesday. So today we're back in Ephesians, and we're going to preach, or I'm going to speak out of today, chapter four, verses one through six. I'll be honest with you, I wanted to go all the way through sixteen. But about three verses in, I realized I'm not going to have enough time to do that because I talk too much and the word's too rich and there's just too much stuff to say. And so we're going to take as small a bite into this as we need to um, to ensure that we can absorb as much of the glory, the magnificence, the beauty of God as we can. Amen? All right. So Paul in Ephesians, as you know, we've, we've done chapters 1, 2, and 3. And in chapters 1 and 3, Paul prays two prayers. After teaching, he prays first in chapter 1, 15 through 20. 
that we come to an understanding of who we are because we are in Christ Jesus. We've talked about this a bunch over and over and over again. He says, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. We see this over and over and over again. And then at the end of chapter 1, he prays that we understand who we are. And that's my prayer for you, that you understand who you are. Not because of who you physically are, but because of who you are in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 3, 14 through 21, which is what we talked about the last time we met, he asked that, he prays to God that we be strengthened in our understanding of who we are so that we can walk according to who we are, which is a pretty good secondary prayer, right? It's good to know something. It's better to stand in that knowing. And so he prays that, and then he starts in chapter 4 as as of a progression of that thought, he says, so you, you know who you are. You know that you have the strength and the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit and the work done on your behalf to, to stand strong in it. Now let me address something else with you. And he moves, as he often does, at the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4 from doctrinal teaching to practical teaching. This is what I love about Paul's writings. Almost always he'll say, this is the doctrinal truths. And then like in Romans chapter 12, he'll start. Now, because of all these doctrinal truths in Romans 1 through 11, the rest of the book is how to apply those doctrinal truths. Because it's, it's good. And I, and I see a lot of teachers and preachers do this. It's good to tell you this is what God said you should do. This is what Christ did for you. But at the end of the day, if we're not challenged to be that, then we haven't really taught you. Amen? And so Paul understands this truth, and so he starts in chapter 4 with the doctrinal teaching, and the, or the practical teaching. And I think it's amazing. It's not really all that amazing, I guess. It's, it's reasonable that he starts with unity. Oh, man, you're killing us with this unity. I talk about unity all the time if you haven't been here very long because I think two things are killing the modern church. <clears throat> One of them is an unwillingness to stand in the Word of God. To say, this is what the Word says, and if you don't like that, you need to take that up with God. Now, we need to preach those things lovingly, but according to the Word of God. And when the church doesn't do that, <coughs> the church is destroyed because it becomes irrelevant. We are here as voices of the word of God and the work that Christ Jesus did in us. The second thing that is destroying the truth is our unwillingness to stand on those truths. And so we don't stand in those truths because, well, I think so-and-so ought to be able to do such and such. Well, <clears throat> I think because I live this lifestyle, I can still love the Lord. You can't still love the Lord according to the word of God. And if you can't love the Lord according to the word of God, you're not loving the Lord as you should. So you're not really loving the Lord at all. And so he says, the, so I think it's the word of God and our unwillingness to stand convictionally upon it, which then causes us to break apart. Because now I have this camp that says love is love that I can do whatever I want. I can still do this, this, and this. And this camp that says, no, you can't do this. You have to stand on the word of God. But it is okay if you do this. 
And then we break up into all these tribes, a.k.a. denominations or whatever, because we have determined what the Word of God should mean to us when our understanding of the Word of God should be irrelevant. Or our, our assimilation, personal assimilation of the Word of God, not what it means, it means what it means. But the way we determine to assimilate it should be irrelevant to the Word of God because the Word of God is unchanging. And so when, when those things happen, it creates disunity, dissensions, arguments, vain conversations for no other purpose than to have conversations, infighting. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've seen this, both inside a church and then inside the larger Big C church. And certainly we have a lot of things to be unified about, but there's so many things that we, we, we aren't unified about. It is in the human nature to tribalize, to say, these are my people. We, we tribe according to the people that make us most comfortable. If you're a Republican, you stand in the Republican tribe. If you're a Democrat, you stand in the Democratic tribe and you fight each other. <clears throat> if you're a Tennessee football fan, something is mentally wrong with you, but you stand in this tribe. I'm just kidding. Don't get all weird and bent out of shape. I don't watch college football. I could care less. But if you're an Alabama fan, you stand in this tribe. But an Alabama fan will fight a Tennessee fan. Amen? Now, those are funny until you realize that a Baptist can't have a conversation with a church of God or a church of Christ because they don't think you have to be baptized to be saved. Church of Christ may believe that. And then something else and something else. Everybody's <coughs> the Methodist struggle because... Well, there's some reasons there I'm not going to get into. But all of them seem to be tribalized in this against the Pentecostals, the full gospel fellowship, because they don't know what we're doing. We're just doing kind of what we feel like we're led by the Lord to do. And so all of these tribes happen, which creates disunity. And it's happening in the church, and it's killing us. It's destroying the body of Christ. And so I think it's very significant that when moving from doctrine to practical application, the first thing Paul wants to talk about is unity. How to be unified in the Spirit. In verses 1 through 6, <coughs> he reads like this. Trent, can I get a bottle of water out of my office, bro? Please. <coughs> Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. Everybody say implore. It's, uh, the writings of Paul are so majestic and pointed implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and i would say and why shouldn't we because according to verse four there is one body and one spirit thank you sir just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Man, that's some powerful, powerful stuff right there. I want to talk to you about that, and I'm going to talk to you about that <clears throat> in just a few points just to make it as simple as I can, two points. The first one is by the Spirit, walk worthy. 
Walk worthy. But as I'm talking about walking worthy, can I draw your attention to the text? Don't read the text too fast. You hear me say this all the time. Pay attention to every word, every comma, every phrase. Pay attention to it because it means something. There's a reason why something may be in the past versus the present versus the future tense. There's reasons for all these things. But he says, therefore, because of all this stuff, because of the prayer he just prayed, that we have the strength to stand, be unified. He said, I, the prisoner of the Lord. I'm going to hang there for a minute. You can't be unified until you're unified with yourself. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yes, it'd make a whole lot of sense. Pastor Rick and I had this conversation the other day. Did you know you have an internal struggle in you between your flesh and your spirit? That the flesh wants, or the spirit wants to do, but the flesh won't do? Read all of chapter 7 of, of Romans, and you're going to see, I want to do, but I don't do, but then I don't want to do what I do do. And then Paul just on and on and on. What he's saying is, I'm struggling, man. I have an inner conflict in me. There is disunity between my flesh and my spirit. Until we figure out how to destroy the disunity within us, that disunity is going to spill out around us. And then through us to the church. But that stops when we declare lordship. Paul understood lordship. We need to understand lordship. In America, we struggle with this. This is, a, this is something I think only the Western church deals with to the degree and significance that we do. We don't understand lordship because we're free. It's America. <clears throat> I won't be lorded over. Well, you know what? Jesus Christ didn't die for America. Jesus Christ died for people. Not that we shouldn't be patriots, not that we shouldn't love our country, but lordship takes precedence over citizenship. And Paul understood this. Paul was so determined to submit himself to the lordship of Christ that he was willing to pay whatever cost was necessary to ensure he achieved the calling God placed on his life. You guys have heard this text before, but I'm going to read it to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 27, Paul just lists some of the random things he had to deal with. And boy, when I read these, I think, man, we think we got it so hard. Are they servants of Christ? I ask as if in saying, I more so, and far more labors, and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Jesus got 39 lashes. We talk about that all the time. Do you know Paul received those lashes three times? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's lordship. We got an American church that's so disunified, we're not getting off the couch if the football game starts before noon 
on Sunday. We're not willing to sacrifice for the lordship that is Christ Jesus, that is required of us to be saved. We must declare Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, according to Romans 10, verse 9. Paul understood lordship. Do we understand lordship? He knew that he was going to Rome to die. I can prove this to you. Because he was willing to accept whatever God told him to. 1921 of Acts says this. Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in his spirit to go to Jerusalem. After he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Paul knew he wasn't coming back from Rome. Paul was confirmed in his spirit that he was going there to die. You know how I know that? I know that because of the conversation he had with the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, 36 through 8 says this. Paul loved them. He loved them well. In 20, 36 through 38, we read this. When he had said these things, when he had finally done his last teaching in Ephesus, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, that they were accompanying him to his ship, and ultimately, I would add, to his death. And if we're going to be unified, we have to understand lordship first. Everything starts, hinges on lordship. The Holy Spirit doesn't waste words. Read your Bible. Every word in your Bible means something. Every single verse declares something. I think lordship's in there before he starts talking because he understands you have to be willing to set it all down as Paul was willing to set it down. Why was he willing to do it? To glorify God and love people. That's why Paul did it. That's why we should do it. In Ephesians 3.1, as we talked about, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ for your sake. Get your head around that. To glorify God and to love people. Everything he went through was to glorify God and to love people. Why am I talking about this in unity when we're talking about unity? <coughs> because unless you understand lordship, you can't be unified. Unless you can understand that it's about Jesus, you're never going to make it about anything but you. Anytime you make it about you, you're going to create a caste system. You're going to fracture the church. You're going to consider yourself more significant than the people around you. You're going to struggle and fight for your rights instead of giving them up as Christ Jesus gave his rights up. Until you understand lordship, you don't understand anything because in order to understand lordship or in order to be saved so that you might be able to be unified, you have to declare lordship and mean it. I feel like I'm running around in circles, but y'all understand what I'm saying, right? I hope you do. I had you repeat a word, and it was implore. You know why I had you repeat the word implore? Because Paul was begging them. Walk worthy of what you've been called to. I implore you. You know why he implored them? Which means beg them. I beg of you. Just walk worthy. Because he couldn't make them. You think as passionate as Paul was, if he could make them be obedient to the Lord, he'd do it? I think he would have. Instead, he said, I implore you. I can't make you, so I just teach you. 
And I beg of you, heed my words. Walk worthy of what God has died to give you. Man, that's so good. That's what I'm here for. I implore you. I've heard people say, man, you're very passionate. You're very convictional. Sometimes you get super loud. I'm imploring you because I can't make you. If I could make you, I'd twist your head off. Not to be mean to you, but because I know what I have. And I want you to have it too. I don't understand people that say, I gave my life to the Lord. And then live some other kind of way. You didn't give your life to the Lord. You gave your life to the idea of a Lord. If you're not willing to sacrifice yourself, but the thing is, I can't make you do it. The Spirit can only provoke you to do it. There's no self-discipline that's capable of causing God to be Lord in your life. We must be a Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered people to understand Lordship, to walk in Lordship. We have to be Spirit-reliant if we're going to be who God called us to be. And I'm not getting through any of this teaching tonight, but that's okay. You know why? Because I need you to understand, I guess the Spirit wants you to understand one thing today, that God is God and you're not. Pastor Jim, I don't think you understand. I know, I understand perfectly. I understand that Jim Kubik, 16 years ago, was a trifling, whoremongering, drunkard who had a reputation that destroyed the name his grandfather gave him. That's what I know. I know that I had a real-life encounter with a Savior, Christ Jesus. That's what I know. And then I know immediately after having that encounter, declaring Jesus Christ as Lord, I determined with everything in me, not getting it right every time. And nobody's expecting you to get it right every time. But you know what someone who is under the servanthood of lordship does? He goes crawling back to the Lord and says, forgive me because we serve a good father. We don't serve a, a malicious father. We serve a loving, kind father who's willing to forgive us when we fall. But what do I know? I know that Lordship changed my life. I heard a man today in a Bible study I was in. He said, a lot of my friends don't know Pastor Jim is my pastor, and so I'll be talking about my pastor around town, and they'll be all, Jim Cubic? Like, like K-U-B-I-C? That Jim Cubic? The Jim Cubic used to work at the sheriff's office. That's a, he, he's a pastor? Maybe you don't understand. Did you say he's in a pasture? Sometimes, staring up at the sky, yelling at myself. How does that happen? It doesn't happen because Jim, is cu Jim Kubik is good. It happens because God is good. It happens because Jesus Christ died for me. It's because I understood, I counted the cost, as we talked about Sunday, of discipleship and determined before I stepped onto the field that I would pay that cost no matter what it was. And that's what Paul did. Paul said, Lordship, and I implore you to do as I've done. Lay your life down if that's what it costs. Because that's what it should cost you. Whether it be physical or spiritual, whether it be mental, whatever it is, lay it down. It doesn't belong to you anyway. You gave up rights to self when you made yourself a slave of righteousness instead of a slave to your sin. 
Amen? That's about all I got to say about that. I got a whole lesson to preach next week, so that's good. <laughs> I love you guys. I do implore you. Walk worthy of the calling that you have. And I'm going to talk about, I guess, next week what that looks like. But for today, lordship first. I'm going to ask that you go home today and that you spend the next week really asking yourself the question, calling out to God and asking yourself, have I truly submitted to Christ Jesus as Lord? And if you haven't, make that right. If you have but fail, we don't walk in condemnation. We walk in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask for forgiveness, fix it, and then start walking in lordship. Amen? Amen. I'm going to leave it at that. Pastor Leonard, you're the most Pentecostal prayer I know. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for us?